morning, church. How's everybody doing? You guys doing all right? Sounds like you're doing all right. That's good. Hey, uh, I want to welcome you. If uh, you are uh, here and you are a college student and you are back for the summer, uh, we want to welcome you. If you are here and uh, you're just here, base, you've, you've moved in to Fort Collins and you're brand new, uh, we especially want to welcome you. Thanks so much for, for joining us for worship. Uh, it is our hope and our goal that uh, while you're here and during this semester and the semesters to come, that you will not only find uh, a church home, but that college would be such a formative uh, time in your life where God works in your life in powerful ways. And, and uh, I want to encourage you students that God is only going to work in your life through those powerful ways if you find uh, a church home. Campus ministries are great. Uh, we support them. Uh, we, we love those. Uh, but finding a local church to be a part of and to serve in is really going to help you uh, as you walk through your college years and allowing uh, God to work in your life uh, in such a powerful way. So thanks so much for being here. Also, if you're joining us today and uh, you met us maybe at New West Fest last weekend. We certainly want to welcome you as well. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and, and choosing to worship with us today. Uh, for anyone that's new, I want to just reiterate what Kaylin had just said, and that is we would love to have you at our newcomers luncheon immediately following the service. I will be there. My wife will be there. Uh, it's a great opportunity to meet other people who are new to the church, maybe just checking out Emmaus Road. Uh, there's no obligation by coming there. You're not making any statements about this being your church home. Uh, it's just simply an opportunity to meet other people who are checking the church out. And uh, I'll, I'll take a few moments just to share a little bit about the heart uh, and the goal of where I feel like God is leading us as a church together. And uh, it's free food. So what do, you, what do you have, you know, what could possibly go wrong, right? So we would love to have you there. Uh, and in fact, if, if so many of you come, which we hope this is true, that we need to order more food, we will do that because we're catering Jimmy John's. And I don't know if you've heard, but they're freaky fast. So if we run out of food, we will order more and have more food within minutes because they're freaky fast and freaky good, okay? Uh, so Jimmy John's, uh, if you don't like Jimmy John's, we still want you to come, okay? Don't, some, some of you are like, ah, oh, Jimmy John's. Some of you are like, why would I ever pay for Jimmy John's when I could make a sandwich at home? That's, I'm kind of like in your camp, but please don't keep that. Please don't let that keep you from coming to the newcomer's luncheon, okay? We would love to have you, okay? So right after the service, something's going on, right? Right, newcomers, come on. All right, well, we just better get into the preaching this morning because I'm not very good at announcements, but I am a little bit more confident when it comes to preaching, okay? Hey, this is the last uh, week of a series that we're calling Rich. And uh, I want to give you uh, just a little bit of update of where we've been in this series so far. Uh, the foundation of the series is this, that in our, our sort of cultural pursuit, and I feel like that as a culture, we're, we're, sort, of, we're sort of drunken with this pursuit uh, of becoming financially rich, that in our cultural pursuit of becoming financially rich, we have in other areas of our lives become utterly poor. That's the foundation of this series, is we are seeking to redefine what it means to be rich. Because the message from the culture is coming to us in all kinds of different ways and in constant different kinds of messages, is that we have to be rich. You stay up late at night, you, you, you watch the infomercial, and the infomercial is either, either selling you a magic bullet blender, which doesn't really work, or it's, it's selling you on a get-rich-quick Scheme, whether you're buying your own stocks or this or that or whatever, buying and selling real estate, sowing the seed, it doesn't matter. We are in a culture that is drunken with this idea of being rich. The contention and the, fo the foundation of this series is that in that pursuit, there are areas in our lives that we have actually become utterly 
poor. And it is time for us to look at the scripture and begin to, to discern and learn what it means to redefine rich. And so where we were in the very first week is a short series, just three weeks. But in week one, we, dis- we determined that our culture, in, in our pursuit of being rich, we have become utterly poor with time. That, that we live in a culture in which being busy is sort of a trophy that we carry around or, or a badge of honor. Uh, and so when we introduce ourselves, we, we start by saying, here's what I do for a job. Here's how I make money. And boy, it's keeping me busy. And so we've come to believe that if the busier I am, the more important I am. And so we have become utterly poor with time. And that has all kinds of consequences in our life because there are some things that enrich our lives in ways that money never could that are only born in time. And we talked about some of that. And if you missed it, you can podcast it from our website or the iTunes store. But ultimately what we decided is that we have to learn, what the Bible says is that we have to learn to honor Sabbath rhythm in our lives. Sabbath is not a a, a set of rules on a particular day that we have to carry around like a burden on our shoulders, but rather Sabbath is this idea that God has, has given us this great gift of rhythm, ebb and flow in our lives, that when we work, we need to work. When we play, we need to play. And there's this balance in our lives, but in our culture, we're often way too far on one way or the other. We either work all the time, boy, I'm busy, or we just play all the time and we don't have a we don't have anything going on and we're lazy and the bible says if you refuse to work you're lazy if you refuse to take a break you're disobedient what the bible calls us to is this god honoring sabbath time and i gave you some ideas on how to reestablish rhythm in our lives of, of sabbath rhythm now last week we talked about how in our pursuit of becoming rich we have in fact become utterly poor in relationships Uh, That oftentimes the bottom dollar drives us to work more, which robs us not only of time, but also of real and authentic relationship. And so we've become utterly poor in relationships. And uh, what we talked about, again, is that we came to the realization that Scripture teaches that real, authentic relationships enrich our lives far more than money ever could. And we talked a little bit about social networks and and how they simply cannot be a substitute for real and authentic relationship. And, And so I won't rehash all of that, but we just framed social networks into a proper context in our lives. That is to say, there is a there is a purpose, there is a space for all of those things, but they cannot be a substitute for what God intends for us in community. And uh, I I gave you three next steps, things that I wanted to encourage you to do to begin living in authentic relationships. And I want to go over those three. The first one was confession. And confession is never fun to talk about. It's not easy to talk about. But when we confess to someone, it, it builds community with that person because it opens up all kinds of possibilities. Among those possibilities might just be the words, me too. Right, Because when you struggle with something in secret, that secret, whether it's a sin or something else, that secret gets a tighter and tighter grip on you. The devil whispers in your ear and tells you a lie that, in fact, you're the only one struggling with this. You're the only one that can't get over this. You're the only one that can't defeat it. And so it digs us deeper and deeper into a hole of isolation. But if we will confess it to someone else, then all of a sudden it brings it out in the open. And and it releases a little bit of that grip of power in our lives. And it opens up to all kinds of possibilities. That other person might just say, you know what, me too. 
Let's walk through this together. That other person might just say, you know what, I've been, through, I've been down that road. I've been down the road you're going. God has given me victory. Let me share how I have gained victory, and let's walk through this together. So confession not only builds community, because it's not just about sharing dirt, right? It's not just about here's all the dirt of my life, but true and real and authentic confession is about let's walk through this journey together. So I hope that some of you, as you marked on your next steps, on your bulletin, I hope that some of you uh, did, in fact, do the hard work of confessing this week. And I hope that you began to see the benefit and the real and authentic relationship that that brings among two people. The, the, the second thing that I encourage you to do to build relationships is uh, to pray with each other. And that is to any time that you would have said, I'll pray for you, turn that phrase into let's pray. Because the reality is, is a lot of times when we hear a need or we, we hear about someone who's hurting, we'll say, oh, I'll pray for you. But then we go about our busy lives. We go about, uh, we, we get caught up in all kinds of responsibilities. And sometimes if you're anything like me, you, you just forget. You don't always remember. And, and so last week we said, anytime that you would have said, I'll pray for you. Just take a few moments. If you're in the office, if you're at Walmart, Starbucks, it doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, just take a few moments. And instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you, but rather turn that around and say, let's pray. And I hope that some of you did that as well. And then the other thing is to share joy. That joy shared is joy multiplied. And I hope that some of you had great celebrations this week as you just experienced the goodness and the greatness and the grace of God and what he's doing in your life. I hope that you brought other people in to celebrate with you as you heard about what God is doing in other people's lives. I hope that you joined in the celebration. And uh, listen, let me just say this real quick. We have this email account set up called mystoryattheroadfc.org, and it is for this very purpose. When God is doing something powerful in your life, we want you to email your story to us so that we can celebrate with you. And what we do with those stories is we begin to share them. We share them at leadership meetings. From time to time, I may share them on a Sunday morning. And I'm not going to share any, any details that you're not comfortable with, but if you're emailing those to me, I'm, I'm assuming that you're wanting all of us to celebrate together what God is doing in your life. And so listen, if God did something great in your life over the summer, if God uses this ministry or the ministry of this local church to impact your life in any way, we would love to hear about it. We would love for you to email it to us so that we can celebrate with you because joy shared is joy multiplied. And when we share what God is doing in our life, it solidifies that in our heart. All right? So that's where we've been so far in this series. And I know that was a lengthy update, uh, but I wanted to give us all on the same page and on the same foundation. And so here's what I want to talk about this week. This week, in our pursuit to become rich, we have lost the rich gains of generosity. Now, isn't it funny that that we have become so obsessed with being rich, but it's always framed in terms of rich for myself, rich for my household, that it's just, I want, I want to gather a certain amount of wealth so that I can live at a particular standard, but I want that all to be mine. I earned it. It's mine, right? And so in our pursuit of becoming rich, we have actually lost the rich gains of living not with a clenched fist. It's mine. But the rich gains of living with an open palm of generosity. And I believe this is what the scripture calls us to, is that being generous and having a generous heart will enrich our lives far more than our lives could ever be enriched by having a clenched fist and gaining all that we can 
for our own and for ourselves. So if you have your Bibles with, me, with you this morning, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians, we're going to be jumping around a little bit in uh, verses... Um, in chapter 8 and then in chapter 9 as well. Uh, but rather than read all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9, I want to give us a little bit of framework of what Paul's talking about. Then we're just going to pull out a couple of passages uh, to look at in terms of principles of generosity. Uh, but, but let me give you a little bit of historical context. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter uh, to the church in Corinth uh, or the Corinthians. And uh, it's a uh, Paul has a particular message that he wants to share in these chapters because of something that's going on. And that what's going on is that the church in Jerusalem is in trouble. And when I say trouble, I mean financial trouble. Like they're having a hard time making ends meet. They're having a hard time doing the ministry that God has called them to. They're having a hard time fulfilling their mission because they simply don't have the resource to make it happen. And this is in the very first days of Christianity. Christianity is beginning to grow all over. And and sort of the hub of, of, of Christianity is this Jerusalem church. And it finds itself in trouble. And so churches all over the region have begun taking up collections to help the church. And so what Paul is talking to the Corinthians about in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 is this collection. He's beginning to to broach the subject. Paul is just like any modern day preacher. He doesn't want to talk about giving. He doesn't want to talk about generosity. He doesn't want to talk about taking up collections. But he knows that it's a necessary thing. And he knows that if he's going to talk about the full scope of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ, it's something that he has to talk about. And so that's what we get in these first two, in these two chapters is that Paul is beginning to talk about it. And ultimately what he says is this. Now, now Paul is, is asking the Corinthian church to help out the church in Jerusalem. And this is just a sticky mess for Paul. I mean, this, this is just a barrel of fish hooks, right? If you know what I mean. I mean, this is, this is just a really sticky situation. And the reason is because Corinth is a Gentile church. In other words, it's a non-Jewish church. Christian church. And in early Christianity, there was a lot of debate and animosity between Jews who have declared Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, and therefore becoming Christians, Jewish Christians, and Gentile Christians, those who are not of Jewish descent. There's a lot of animosity between the two groups. And the two groups, were what the Jewish Christians were saying is, I don't think the Gentiles are really in the club. In other words, I don't think that they can become a Christian because they're not of Jewish descent. And and so there was a lot of animosity between here. And so what Paul is doing is he's asking a Gentile church to give to a Jewish church. Now, all of these churches have confessed Christ as Savior, so they're all under the umbrella of Christianity. It just has a, it's, it's a matter of descent. Where are they from? And so, so Paul's already in a sticky situation because he's saying, I know that I've got to go to these Gentiles and say the, the, the Jewish church, the Jewish Christian church is in trouble. Will you help them out? But it's not just messy on one side. It's two-sided messy. Because in Romans, what we, what we get is a full context as we begin to put the picture together. Paul is praying that the Jewish church would accept these gifts from the Gentiles. In other words, Paul is very, fully aware that there is a possibility that the Jewish church would say, Oh, money from Gentiles? We can't accept that. And we won't. And so it's sticky on both sides. And what Paul is ultimately doing is he's trying to frame this in a particular way. And in doing so... It teaches us really important principles 
about generosity. Okay? Does that make sense? Oh, hold on. Do I need to start over? Does that make sense? A little bit of historical context. There's some animosity. Paul's, he, Paul's bringing this up. It's a sticky situation. And in the midst of this, he, he it communicates for us some really important truths. And I want to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 1 through 7. Uh, let's read this, or you can follow along with me. It'll be up on the screen, or you have Bibles in front of you. Uh, it says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. And I love that verse. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they went beyond our expectations. Having given themselves first of all to the Lord... They then gave themselves by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had early made a beginning, to bring uh, also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. The first principle that Paul wants to teach us about generosity is that generosity is a grace given. Generosity is a grace given to us. Now, we're used, now, you might be used to hearing about grace, and if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard about grace from one particular angle, and that is to say that, that grace is the unmerited favor of God toward us that is demonstrated most, most uh, profoundly and most perfectly in his, the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, to us, that, that though we were undeserving, that yet, yet while we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us, and that is His in, enormous grace that is being demonstrated to us. But what Paul wants to do is he wants to expand the boundaries of grace and he wants it to cover all sorts of things and so Paul says that the Macedonian church in the midst of a severe trial and in extreme poverty their overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity why because they had been given a grace Church, what Paul wants to teach us is that the grace is not just one particular angle, one particular thing. Talking about Jesus. Now, yes, the grace of God toward us is perfectly demonstrated in the gift of his son Jesus on our behalf. But grace is also much larger than that. The boundaries of grace cannot be kept inside of that little box. Paul wants to reframe grace as something that not only is received, but is directly given to us that in the midst of a trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. That is to say that having received grace from God through Christ, they were given a further grace to express this gift of Jesus through their generosity. The generosity is a grace given. Now you might also 
be given the grace of encouragement. And some of you here today, you have been given the grace of encouragement. That when people come to you and they talk to you, man, you always just have an encouraging word for them. You always want to lift them up and encourage them. I know a couple of people that have the the grace of encouragement. Other people, you might have the the grace of of healing. And and sometimes that may be just through through physical healing, through prayers of yours. Sometimes that may be, uh, maybe healing might come through through the words that God gives you to speak truth into someone's life that helps them heal. And you have the grace of healing. What Paul says is, is, is when he's talking to the Corinthians in this kind of messy situation about overflowing with generosity to this Jerusalem church, he points them to, a, to the Macedonian church who's going through a severe trial. They're in the midst of extreme poverty and yet in the midst of trial, yet in the midst of, of poverty, they have an overflowing joy whose source is God himself and it expresses itself in the grace of generosity that they gave what they were able, sometimes even beyond what they were able, in order to participate in this great truth. I love that. Starting with verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the God's people. Generosity is a grace given. Now you might ask, what is the, what is the, what is the motivation of this grace? What is it that the Macedonians... Are, are, are so in the midst of this poverty, in the midst of this trial, what is it that motivates them? And, and this isn't explicitly in the text, but I think it's there implicitly. If we begin to really get the full picture of what's going on, we begin to understand that the Macedonian church gave to the mission of the church. That, that's precisely what we just read. It's like they're in this trial, they're in, this, they're, they're in the midst of poverty, and yet all of these things well up in rich generosity for all on their own. They pleaded for the privilege of participating in this service to God's people. They know that the Jerusalem church is hurting. They know that God has called that church to a particular mission, that that church is, is sort of the hub that wants to send out missionaries all over the world, that wants to proclaim the message of Jesus, and they need resource to do that. And the Macedonians, this grace wells up because of the mission that God has called them to. In other words, our giving, Paul does not go to the Corinthians and and begin to speak to them uh, and and appeal to them on on behalf of their emotion. Paul does not come to them and say, you need to give because we're starting a new building project or we have something special going on. Paul goes to them and he says, the Macedonian church has been given the grace of giving and in the midst of severe trial, in the midst of poverty, because they understand the message and the mission of Jesus Christ and how important it is in this world. And so they, have, they are begging and pleading to be a part of it and to participate with it. And I wonder how far removed we've become from that. In a culture that says, no, it's all mine. No, I earned it. No, I worked for it. Nothing's free. You don't get a handout. We've been taught in our culture to, to question or to doubt compassion. Man if, I, man, if I were to help them out, they would just abuse it. Man, if I, man, if I gave them something, they, they'd just go buy more drugs. 
We have been taught to doubt compassion. Now, there's some of that that's in line, and we do need to be careful about how we give. But I feel like we've gone way too far to the other side where we've had such a mindset of closed fists. And what this passage paints for us is that this Macedonian church, they didn't even have, they had hardly anything in their fists, but they opened it up in rich generosity. For they had been given the grace, first of all, from God and His gift, Jesus Christ. And then seeing that grace, they opened up the boundaries of grace so that they might grace others through their generosity. Generosity is a grace given. And they do it because they're passionate about the mission of the church. And I would want to encourage you today that that our giving, our rich generosity, our grace of giving indeed should be to the mission of the church. Now sometimes that's done by supporting ministries, parachurch organizations. Sometimes that's done through supporting missionaries around the world. I mean, that can be done in a variety of of ways. But when we look at Scripture, we see that God's ordained plan to bring about his kingdom in the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus is the local church. And so the greatest impact that our gift can make is if we invest in the local church. So I want to encourage you, some of you today, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to encourage some of you today that as as you've experienced the rich grace of Jesus, he might be asking you to extend that grace of generosity by beginning to give through obedience, a tithe to the local church. Start there. Tithe literally means 10%. Taking 10% of our income and just resourcing the church for the mission that God has called us to do. And whether you do that to this church, if you attend this church, I hope you give to this church. But whether that's whether you choose another church, I, I don't care what church you go to. I just want you to get plugged in to a church, serve, and give to that church through tithing. So that's the first way, but we also, we have this thing called tithe and offerings, and I really believe that tithe is, is to be to the local church. I feel like that's scriptural. We, we get that in the Old Testament, coming, the, the giving uh, is going to the storehouse, and the storehouse was so that everyone that was benefiting from the grains of that storehouse would, would tithe into that. And so if you're benefiting from the community and the spiritual instruction and all of these things from the local church, then you ought to be building into and, and resourcing that church and this church for that. But there's also this thing called offering, which is moving generosity even further. That's when we say, man, I don't have much here, but I'm going to open it up and I'm going to allow God to just work in my life in a powerful way as I practice generosity. Now, why do we, why ultimately do we give? Yes, it's toward the mission of the church, but there's something profound that happens to us when we give because the scripture is very clear. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know the character of God. God is a giver and very central to the gospel, very central to our faith is this fact that we have been given a phenomenal gift, that we have already been the recipients of generosity that has become totally unleashed. 
that God so loved the world that he gave. And so we don't give just so we can, we can meet a budget. Man, when I tell you to tithe to the church, I don't care what the budget says. I don't care if we're way ahead of budget. I don't care if we're way behind on budget because it's not about the budget. It's about when we give, God does something in our heart. We're formed more into his likeness because at the very center of who God is, he's a giver. And so if we want to be like him, and if we want to enrich our lives, we've got to live life with a rich generosity and the grace given. We give toward the mission. Man, let me tell you just a little bit about what God is doing in this church. Last week, we baptized Brian. And if you heard his story, man, it was powerful. Brian, just a few months ago, hated Christians. Openly. He told me that. Hey, Pastor, I'm, in, I'm a part of your life group because I'm just trying, I'm trying really hard, number one, to get some questions answered. Number two, to not hate Christians. And you're not helping. He didn't say that. <laughs> and man, when we walked, as we walked through that life group, I began to see God soften his heart. And God work in his life to where ultimately he came back to the faith that he once knew and we baptized him to celebrate his new life in Christ last week. Uh, just a few weeks ago, like, like six weeks ago, we baptized Ian. And, and part of Ian's testimony was that Jesus is not just a name, but he's my all in all. And Ian had been freed from addiction and an utterly evil lifestyle. And, and if you see Ian... I mean, just looking at him, you can see evidence of of the lifestyle that he once led but has been freed in Christ and raised to new life in him. And then on that same Sunday, we baptized Jessica, who was bitter toward the church, but soon realized that she couldn't do life without community. Listen, church, God is moving in this place in a powerful way. And God's intention is that as we are given a mission, and as God has given us a mission, that we are fully resourced for that mission. And it's because he wants his people to well up with generosity. Pastor, I can't afford to give. Man, you don't don't know how how difficult my life has been. Man, I'm with you. My life has, has been tough this summer. But in the midst of a severe trial, And their extreme poverty, their overwhelming joy, welled up with rich generosity. I mean, that language is almost poetic. So grace, so so generosity is a grace given. The second principle that Paul wants to teach us is that generosity brings gain. Go over to chapter 9. I want to read verses 6 through 11. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 11, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. For as it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures 
forever. Now listen to this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and, and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, it would be easy to take this passage and and pull this one line out. You'll be made rich in every way. And some of you are like, Jesus is going to give me a BMW. Amen. That ain't it. You've missed it. What it's talking about here is that Jesus, the gospel way of life, enriches our lives. Right? What we're doing is precisely this. He's redefining rich. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Oh, hold on. I liked it before the second phrase. You will be made rich in every way. Amen. So that you can be generous on every occasion. What? Right? But here's the deal. A hoarding mindset rots our soul. Every time, just in the same way that every time we give, something profound happens in our heart. That every time we give, God is forming us and shaping us and we're being drawn more into his likeness because ultimately at the center of who God is, he is a giver. In the same way that every time we refuse generosity and and choose ourselves, there's something also happening to us. And we know that hoarding a mindset rots the soul because how many storylines are built on this exact premise? That, That How many novels or how many movies have you ever seen that someone is giving something. Maybe they're given power. Maybe they're given this gift and they they obsess over that. They say that it's only mine and that thing rots their soul. Lord of the Rings, right? Okay. But generosity and a generous mindset, the Bible says, brings great gain. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be made generous on every occasion. Let me ask you today, are you under the impression that the riches that you have been given are strictly for your own benefit? Are you under the impression that the riches that you have been given are strictly for your own benefit? Now some of you today, you're like, I don't feel very rich. Have you been forgiven in Christ and accepted him? You're rich. Did you drive a car to church today? You're rich. Do you have more than two outfits of clothes? You're rich. You'll be made rich in every way so that on every occasion you can be generous. God has not given you the riches of the life centered on him simply for your own benefit, but God has entrusted these riches to you so that you can go on to be a blessing and to support the work of his kingdom, to bring thanksgiving and worship to God. Here's here's the, the, the premise, the foundation of this series, and where I want to end this thing is that ultimately the gospel makes us rich. Our pursuit of financial wealth is fine as long as that is centered on the gospel. 
But so many times our pursuit of becoming wealthy does things to our heart that, that corrodes the work of God in our life. And so, yes, for some of you, God will give you, he will bless you with phenomenal financial resource. And he's doing that simply because he trusts your heart to be obedient with it. Because for those who are given little and and God can trust, he will also entrust more to you. And so if you're here today and you've been given great financial wealth, I hope that it does not corrode your soul but I hope that you keep that centered on Christ to be used for his good and his glory. And so in all the ways that we've talked about in this series and all the many other ways that the gospel makes us rich, we are made rich for the purpose of generosity. Do you hear that this morning? We are made rich for the purpose of being generous, not to hoard to ourselves. And so we're rich with time, right? If we honor Sabbath rhythm in our life, if we don't take on too much, if we learn to say no when it's appropriate to say no, if we have a God-honoring Sabbath rhythm and ebb and flow in our life, we will be rich with time in order to volunteer, in order to serve, in order to invest back in the kingdom and not just through a paycheck, in order to raise children who love the Lord. How many of you have been robbed with time so much that you can't invest the time in your kids so that they will come up to know the Lord. How many of you have become so utterly poor with time that your marriage is falling apart? Because we're given, we're made rich by the gospel so that we can give ourselves away in all these other ways. So if we are honoring God, if we have God honoring rhythm and Sabbath and we're rich with time, then all of a sudden we have time to have a marriage that honors God. We have a a life, a single life in in a way that we can live in such a way that it points people to him. You know, the number one reason that I hear of why people don't volunteer is they don't have time. But the gospel makes us rich so that we can be generous. We're rich with relationships so that in those moments when someone needs the grace of God to be very real, but it feels like their prayers aren't making it past the ceiling, so to speak, and they can't feel the presence of God, they need a loved one, a loved friend, to step in to recognize their struggling and become the grace of God to them. And that will only happen if our lives are enriched through authentic relationships. But if our lives are starved of of relationship, we'll never be able to give ourselves away. God will never be able to use us in the way that he intends to use us. If we're rich with relationship, we can be there to offer grace. We can be there to help a brother in need. We can be there to demonstrate the love of Christ. And then, if we are rich financially, It is not to hoard for ourselves, but rather to help those in need, to support the work of his church, to move his kingdom forward by making sure the church is fully resourced for its mission. Does that mean that if you're a Christian and you've been given wealth that you should live in a box and not enjoy nice things? Absolutely not. But it simply means that that you ought to own those things. Those things shouldn't own you. 
and that you should realize that you've been given this great gift of riches and that you've been made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. There's this verse in this passage that you would never guess would come out of a passage where Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthian church to give to the church in Jerusalem. But for me, it provides a foundation of everything. Paul, in chapter 8, verse 9, says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Well, I didn't think Paul was talking about theology. I thought he was just trying to encourage the Corinthian church to give. But ultimately, our giving and our generosity is rooted firmly in the generosity that we have already been given through Christ. That just as the Macedonian church was motivated by the mission of of Uh, of the church, but also motivated in the fact that they have been given a grace based on the grace that they have already received. Paul says this to the Corinthians, you also ought to live in this way. He says the Macedonians are simply an example uh, of this very truth, that we are already recipients of an extravagant generosity. That while we were still sinners, when we were undeserving, when we were broken, God knew and saw our sin. He saw our brokenness. He saw all all the ugliness. God sees all the, all the secret things that you've not yet confessed and all of these things. And yet God still says, I love you. You are valuable. And I will walk and march to the cross obediently to die on your behalf so that you might have life, so that you may gain victory over those things, so that you can live in rich relationship, so that you can have all the riches of the gospel. But in order, church, for us to experience all the riches of the gospel, Someone had to become poor, and that someone was Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, when he gave up all of his riches on the throne of God and put on flesh and bones for us. He became utterly poor so that through his poverty, you and I might experience the riches that the gospel has to offer. And so Paul says, ultimately, this is the foundation of our generosity. If I appeal to you purely on emotion, you will give for a short time and never again. If I appeal to you based on a building project, you'll be motivated until things get tough. But let me appeal to you then on the only sure foundation that we have, that we are already the recipients of a generosity that is so far-reaching and so profound that you and I will never experience anything like it again. And out of that, may we be given this grace to be generous. You know, Jesus in the Gospels says you've been offered a great forgiveness, so in the same way, now go and forgive. And it's the same way here. We need to practice generosity as those who have already received the richest kind of generosity. Generosity is at the heart of the Gospel. And we see this pattern over and over and over again in the, in the Gospels. But we see this pattern where Jesus says, you must lose your life in order to gain it. That's what we illustrate through baptism. 
that we have died to our old life, that we've been raised to new life in Christ. If you want to be raised to new life in Christ, we must first die. If you want to gain your life, you first must lose it. This is the Jesus pattern. Death leads to resurrection. Poverty leads to riches. And what seems like poverty is actually very rich. You see, some people might look at you and say, what, you've lost your pursuit for financial wealth? What is that all about? And and what looks like poverty to the world will actually be riches because you're experiencing the riches of the gospel. Now, somewhere in the midst of that, you may also gain financial wealth. And as I've already said, many of you are already richer than over half of the world. But remember, God gives us, makes us rich in every kind of way so that we can be generous on every occasion. What would happen if we as the people of God would unleash this pattern, death, resurrection, lose our life to gain it, poverty leads to riches? What if we were to unleash this pattern in the world? The results would be absolutely incalculable. The results would be phenomenal. It would, in fact, be the church being the church. We are the people of God. And we are called to live, not according to the cultural message of a clenched fist, but we are called to live as Christ has lived and died for us with the rich generosity of an open hand. Church, as we close this series, may you be rich in every way so that on every occasion you may be generous. 